Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And boy, do we have some news for you guys. News, news, news. Uh, I'll go first. Um, I today finally signed a contract, and uh, I have keys to a house. Woohoo! Homeowner. They are letting me own property, and it's a mistake. <laughs> I'm unstoppable now. Oh, my um, gosh. It's been a wild couple months of trying to find a house and do all of this, but I'm I'm super super excited. And Michelle has getting been getting like play by play blows of like me bargaining with people. You you put an offer on a house and then you go and do the inspection and you're like, oh, actually it's rotting from the inside out. Didn't you know? And if you yeah, live I- in Tennessee, there's also a thing called radon, which not many people know about. And it's like, hey, there's just always a chance if you live in this general area that like your basement is just. <laughs> chock full of a, a minorly radioactive gas love it happens keeping you on your toes Ooh, <laughs> uh, but i'm really really excited i the the guy who did my contract work this morning was super friendly and like we had tons of papers and i i would say i'm a generally like i'm a good reader and everything and i feel pretty competent most of the time but if you put legal contracts in front of me like i sweat so hard about that what it means well, yeah, because everything's so, like, nothing's written the way that it is easy to understand. Like, you have to learn how to read the legal jargon to understand the legal jargon. Even then, trying to do all the insurance, like the homeowner's insurance and everything, and I'm reading all of these numbers, and I'm like, is this the correct amount? Is this how much yeah. it should be? Did I get the cheap policy, or is this going to actually protect me? What does it mean? Right. It's been very ner- I've never felt so stupid. <laughs> But uh, no, it's super, super exciting. It's so nice to have like have a little home. I need a home. But I, I went first because I arguably think you have the much bigger news and I'm super excited. Wow, guys. My news is that I got engaged. Woo! Ah! Ah! That's so freaking <laughs> and I exciting. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was so surprised. I mean. Um, we've had my boyfriend Connor. Oh, wait, no, my fiance. Fiance. Ooh, ooh, ooh. the upgrade. <laughs> the upgrade. It's no longer the boyfriend episode. It's the yeah. significant other episode. <laughs> ooh, yeah. So I we let me start that over. We've had my fiance Connor on the podcast a couple times now, and um, I mean, I knew that he was going to propose the. Pro- the pro- the proposing was not a surprise. Uh, the actual proposal was a surprise. Um, we were up in Glacier National Park. Uh, if you know us, we're big national park people. We're trying to visit all 63 national parks before we die. And uh, Glacier has been on our list for a long time. So we went up there, uh, up in Montana, and it was just unbelievably stunning. Um, I would honestly put it equal to Zion for favorite national park now. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just insane and vast and beautiful. And we went on so many stunning hikes, but that's why I didn't see it coming. We went on two beautiful hikes when we were there and nothing happened. And the second hike we went on was just like one of those places where you're looking at the view and you're like, I can't believe that a place this beautiful exists on earth. And not only does it exist, but I'm standing here and looking at it. <laughs> and I thought for sure if it was going to be this trip that he proposed on that it would have been there and then he did it then we hiked all the way back down and i was like okay it's not happening on this trip um i guess he has something else planned and that sneaky little cheeky guy proposed to me 
the next morning at 7 a.m. <laughs> at an equally <laughs> beautiful place amongst the mountains and a lake. And uh, it was crazy. It was, I was shocked. I truly had no idea. So meanwhile, I'm back in Tennessee and I'm I'm chilling. And the thing about Glacier National Park is like there's not good cell service there. And so Michelle and I weren't in, as much in contact. And I had spoken to Connor. I'd asked him when he was planning on proposing. And I knew it was supposed to be on this trip. But, like, as the days go by, I'm like, why haven't I received pictures or a text? Like, what's going on? And Michelle hits me up on the last day of her trip when they're, like, in town. And she's like, oh, it's so lovely and everything. We ha- we've we had a great time. We go back tomorrow. And I'm sitting there. I was like, this man chickened out. <laughs> what's happening? Which is when Michelle got home uh, and she and Connor uh, FaceTimed me to show me the ring and everything. Uh, it is what I yelled into the phone. <laughs> I thought he chickened out to Connor's face, which if you know Connor at all, he's not a person who would chicken out from anything. He takes challenges on like head on. But I was, I was like, I don't know why I haven't heard anything. It's, I'm like, okay. I'm talking to people at my bar being like, yeah, she's supposed to be engaged. I haven't gotten photos. <laughs> well that's so funny um, because literally all of our all of our closest friends that he told had the same experience because even though we got engaged on the thursday and left or sorry we got engaged on the wednesday and left thursday i wasn't about to text everybody until we got home and could facetime people because we literally had absolutely no service unless we were in town and i was able to facetime like his sister and my mom but it was like going in and out the whole time so i well, was like also, all right we just gotta call everybody when we get back home <laughs> you you also deserve the right to just kind of luxuriate in it and then tell everybody when you're ready um you know you don't really want to have to navigate 85 phone calls directly after especially when you're still on your trip <laughs> uh, especially when i hate talking on the phone <laughs> oh yeah i mean don't we all <laughs> but, but it was very very funny and uh, your ring is gorgeous. Michelle designed her own ring, which I always think is just kind of smart since it's a piece you have to wear for the rest of your life. And I know some people are like, that takes the magic out of it. But I agree with you, which is that I don't think proposals should ever be a surprise in the sense that you should know that somebody's planning to ask you to marry them. But the way you propose should be a surprise. Exactly. And it was so magical. Like, genuinely, I wouldn't have changed a single thing. Uh, Connor and I designed the ring together with a jeweler who was a good family friend and they just knocked it out of the park. I never saw it in its completion. I only ever saw like the 3d model of like what in theory it would look like once they made it. And it was shocking when I saw it in person, I was like genuinely I the 3d model didn't give me any real concept of what it would look like on my hand. And he hired a photographer and we had a super fun time, like exploring glacier and like, taking fun photos with the photographer and it was just my dream like it was just perfect (laughs) the pictures are real cute we'll we'll throw some up into into stories there you go i'm not posting pictures of my house that's a safety issue but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah very very fun exciting uh times for um for opera off stage Woo-hoo. I hate to use such a millennial word, but it's it's very much in the in the line of adulting. It's very weird. Very it's adulting. It's aged me immensely. Adulting, it does give me cringe now because I'm on TikTok and everyone now points out like the weird dumb stuff millennials do. And I was like, how dare you? 
Well, it was funny because I, I was, was here at the start. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because I was talking to Tiffany Soricelli, um on Monday and she was like, oh, my God, congratulations. And we were like just telling her about the proposal and all that. And she was like, and you guys remember Tiffany from our tax and financial literacy episodes and um she was like it's so funny because I kind of forgot that you were like at that stage of your life and I was like girl same <laughs> like what oh, the heck yeah <laughs> like you and me both sister <laughs> it's so weird it's so crazy so now it's time to talk a little more about the news for the opera world over the past you know month or so so much has happened <laughs> so it seemed like it was perfect timing to hop right back in uh, and start discussing all of the crazy musical stuff happening, uh, mostly in the U.S. That's what we've got time for today, but we'll try to broaden our scope a little bit next time. First and foremost, I want to just say we are going to talk about CCO, but not today. We have an entire episode to talk about unions coming up, and we wanted to really get into it and talk about uh, CCO in the frame of the larger picture. So just a heads up, we're not missing it. We know it's there. We're going to really, really cover it. Yeah, we know that <laughs> things are really going <laughs> going real bad over there. So there's no way yeah. that we could, could throw it in here as, as a small segment. So we'll be covering that in a larger topic about unions um, in the coming weeks. So stay tuned. And uh, I'm sure from now to the actual episode that we'll cover it in, um, I'm sure lots will develop. <laughs> so. Yeah, and we will keep on top of that. So before we get into some of our longer stories... Uh, we just want to throw like a couple quick headlines out for you guys. Yeah, some fast facts of things that have gone out. Rhiannon Giddens and Michael Abel's opera, Omar, was just recently awarded the 2023 Pulitzer Prize for Music, which is amazing. I know Fantastic. that Omar, yeah, I think Omar has been performed in Boston and L.A., um, and now it's making its rounds. I think it's going to be performed in San Francisco. Um, it was just at the... Is it at the Met this upcoming season? Uh, I believe I think, so. Yeah, I think it's at New York. In New York um, next season, it's going to Chicago Lyric. So it's definitely one of those Bless. operas that's on the rise. Yeah. And so it's really, I mean, just watch it, what a huge success. I'm really excited to see that that opera is gaining a lot of traction. Our next fact, uh, unfortunately, is that Grace Bumbry died at age 87. And it was very interesting because um, as I was kind of just reading through her biography, you know, she's kind of one of those, what we would consider superstars of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I think that she really is one of those singers that, I mean, came to recognition as an incredible mezzo. And then once she started singing at like the Met and Covent Garden, San Francisco Opera, Paris, like La Scala, all these giant places, she found huge success in being a soprano. And honestly, she could just do it all. If you watch videos of her, she just has the most beautiful, pristine, crystalline, amazing, just warm voice. But I also love it because she was also such a diva. She had an orange Lamborghini um, (laughs) and would always be seen in furs and jewels. And she would be wearing East Saint Laurent and Heinz Riva, like just living her absolute best diva life. And so it's a huge loss to our to our community um but you know 87 that's that's a full life and so it's been fun to kind of see a lot of people remembering her and posting um you know some of her best moments of performances um and in her life kind of on instagram so she'll definitely be missed yeah of course 
And then finally, uh, Terrence Blanchard's opera, Champion, just premiered last month at the Met, which is amazing. And I didn't realize this, but Champion is actually his first opera. Fire Shut Up In My Bones is his second. And so it was really interesting to read some of the reviews for it because a lot of them were saying that, like, it's a similar idea musically to what is done in Fire Shut Up In My Bones. Um, but for obvious reasons, the second opera is more successful, which isn't surprising after you've done something once that the second one might be a little bit cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's fascinating. I didn't realize, not only that, both shows are about closeted individuals, mm. which I think is kind of fascinating um, and a really bold choice for these uh, biographical operas. Yeah. Um, but overwhelmingly, it still drew... You know, say what you will. Like I said, if you go backwards in anyone's discography, you're likely to find that it's maybe not as good as some of their more established work. However, it still filled the house with people. And I know it's also coming to Med HD. So very, very exciting. Very cool. Very, uh, Really nice to see the Met capitalizing on the fact that Fire Shut Up In My Bones was such a huge success by pushing it further. So I'm excited to see them catch on a little bit. Also, please, please tell me you've all seen the picture of uh, Peter Gelp and... Uh, oh my god, Yannick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Yannick is full on in, like, streetwear. And oh Peter Gelp god. looks like he is uh, a stuffed a stuffed doll of himself. Uh, oh I will po- We will post that picture with this episode. I will make a meme format out of it. <laughs> it's so unhinged for no reason. Like they're I, I really think we can on actually the... make a great meme format out of that photo, and we should. It's like when you have a Gen Z like n- grandson with your like grandfather who's just of a different era. That is the vibe of that photo. That's how that's how I sometimes feel with my young coworkers. My younger coworkers will be telling me about music or something, and I I feel like Peter Gelp in that photo. Literally, oh my gosh. <laughs> Now it is time to jump into some of our larger stories, which first up is Kansas City Symphony. So some of you may have seen this story because technically this launched in March, but Josh Jones um, was the principal percussionist of Kansas City Symphony, and he was recently let go from his tenure track position. Now, that in and of itself isn't anything remarkable, except for the fact that Josh Jones was also the only black man to be on that tenure track in the 40-year history of that symphony. Mm -hmm. So, basically, what has happened is that people are... uh, Josh Jones has come forward and basically said that he believes that he was treated unfairly, that he was held to a much higher standard than his white colleagues, and that he often felt that he was treated inappropriately by the symphony staff. So a lot of what I'm going to talk to you about from this uh, comes from a Kansas City Star article written by Maddie Gelman. Basically, Josh Jones starts his his tenure track at the symphony in 2020. um, And the first letter that he gets from Michael Stern, who is the symphony's music director, says that he is an exceptional talent and an extraordinary citizen in the orchestra and the larger community. But as he continues these assessments through the next two years, they started to express that they had concerns with his ability to lead his section over some like clerical work and eventually leading to a letter in January of this year 
that said that his improvement in those areas was not sufficient and he would not be getting tenure, which means that he would be fired. Um, hmm. And it just says you simply did not have the support of your tenure committee. Josh Jones has come forward and said that like none of these issues were brought to him in a timely manner, that his organizational and managerial skills had been praised by the previous orchestras that he had worked with, and that Kansas City had also been criticizing him for uh, signing music that was in the style of similar black composers and black musicians, black percussionists. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, obviously, the CEO of the symphony, Danny Beckman, um, declined to say much, but uh, said that race is not a factor in any of these decisions. For just a general breakdown of the numbers for, for Kansas City Symphony, you should know that of the 80 members of the symphony, three musicians are black, and the other two members are temporary fill-ins. They would have to audition to keep their position. So he was the only black musician in a long-term role. And for a bigger picture of Kansas City in general, about one quarter of Kansas City is black. Don't you just love it when symphonies reflect their communities? Yeah. (laughs) And and here's the thing. Kansas City specifically, just my general knowledge of, of that area, having met a lot of musicians who come out of there, that is a place with tons of classical music. Mm-hmm. Tons and tons of like decently funded classical music in schools. It's mm-hmm. one of the few places that has has any of that. This is one of those issues that gets really complicated because you can sit here and say he said, she said, essentially. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to remember and something that the uh, uh, the Black Orchestral Network has brought up as they have been protesting Kansas City Symphony for their actions, which is that. Black musicians experiencing denied or delayed tenure is grossly disproportionate to that of any other group present in classical music. And that Josh Jones fits into that idea of someone who may have been wronged. Because here's the other thing that I think when you look at saying, like, your communication and your leadership of your section wasn't very good, Mm -hmm. which is to say you can be a great leader and still experience difficulty communicating with people. I'm not saying that the musicians he worked with were racist, but communication barriers happen. Yeah. And it seems strange to me that it doesn't seem like they were working with him to resolve communication errors. Right. It sounds like they were just like, well, he's been difficult, so bye. Without even really trying to, you know. Yeah. Well, also that he seemed to start off so strong, but also he, he mentions like, they brought up issues with his performances, but they would only bring them up in formal meetings. So they were never bringing them up in rehearsals or prior to large performances. It seems like they were getting setting him up for failure, essentially, by not informing him of things in a manner that allowed him to actually address them, only in a manner that allowed them to record their critique of him. Right. Yikes. It, it gets a little worse. So, I mean, oh, God. <laughs> for example, we also said his his managerial skills and communication and leadership had been similarly praised. And it is worth mentioning that he has played for uh, major orchestras in Detroit, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and Calgary. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's played for some rather large. This is not like his first big job. This is his first tenure track position, which he took to live closer to his mother. Aww. Not only that, he is in his final year of cancer treatment without a job Aww. or health insurance. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, I gotta be honest with you. The optics of that for Kansas City Symphony are something quite terrible. Yeah. To drop somebody in the midst of cancer treatment. Um, you know, and he was like, 
he said that like when he started out and everything like it was so exciting everyone seemed so excited to have them there but that overall you know that it, it seems that they essentially weren't working with him to improve what was happening but not only that that the the general culture of the symphony was not addressed appropriately right when bringing in your first tenure track black musician right for example, the criticism of the music he was assigning when it's black music. The reality, too, is that he mentioned having several run-ins with security, uh, not believing that his badge was real, or asking him if he was the man who had been wandering around in the parking garage. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that is to say that it seems like while we can never, you know, I, I'm, I am alleging things. I, I cannot speak with any certainty. I do not work for Kansas City Symphony. I was not there. But the reality is, is that very often people who are in these positions for the first time don't receive the kind of support they would need in order to succeed. Because mm -hmm. there are more barriers than just getting the job. There is getting the support and respect you need to lead a section. There is the kind of training needed to make sure security doesn't constantly commit microaggressions or actual aggressions against you there is you know guidance and mentorship and all of these things and it doesn't seem like those things were accessible but even then very specifically the cruelty of cutting someone off in their last year of cancer treatment is absolutely nuts come on kansas city and it's something we talk a lot about a lot about when we talk about equity which is to say that sometimes when you're coming from a position like that you may need more than the next person. This is the difference between equality and equity, which is to say that when you start making these changes of trying to uh, bring in these fantastic black musicians to fill these positions, they may need access to more tools in order to succeed, not because they are not capable, but because this is the first time that that group has been exposed to certain things. Well, the foundation of support and resources just may not be there to support them. Yeah, the environment you know, itself there may not have the is not necessarily prepared. Yeah, foundation to make it a safe and inviting um, and successful position for them to step into. Um, yeah, and I know a lot of composers and singers and musicians now are questioning whether or not they'll go work with Kansas City Symphony. Um, and I hope Kansas City Symphony opens them up themselves up to the possibility that they might have been wrong. And like I said, I can't know the specifics. I can't make any absolute judgments because this is one of those things that is so entirely subjective in so many ways. But if your argument there is like a bad culture fit, you should also question the culture of the symphony itself. Yeah. I just I don't understand how so many of these organizations in the year 2023 are still wilding like this. Like how many how many steps backwards do we have to take before people really <laughs> learn i mean you know this is also something that happened with my old high school my old high school like hired a diversity director and then immediately fired her after pushback from parents and people for for doing her job and for something that wasn't her fault actually and went to a protest about it and th that school has its own problems but that's the exact point like they hired someone with this idea of like oh we'll really like get on the ball about this and then when she was doing her job <laughs> They were like, actually, no, we just wanted the appearance. Yeah. So we'll keep our eyes on that story. It's continuing to develop. It's definitely not over. And there are many protests and people working very hard. Um, 
and and giving lots of support to Josh Jones, and we wish him the best, uh, especially through what is immense, immensely stressful thing to be going through at the same time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Prayers for him and his family. That is really just horrible timing. I know, just a an absolute switch up in topics and energies. <laughs> I have to talk about what happened at the LA Phil. I can't. I can't not talk about this. And this happened while I was staying with Michelle for the concert. Yep. So this is, is April. This is at, right at the end April. of April. Oh my gosh. I don't think May actually happened. <laughs> I don't think May actually existed. I think I was working so much that I just didn't see May happen. <laughs> anyway, supposedly somebody had a very, very loud orgasm right in the middle of Tchaikovsky, <laughs> Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony. So scary. <laughs> I, there are a couple things I loved about seeing this headline, which is number one, almost everybody said it was an orgasm. Which is a wild thing to believe that you absolutely know. Yeah. But everyone was just very immediately certain about what it was. Second of all, there is a recording of it. I'm not going to put it on here because I don't believe, uh, unlike the person at the symphony, I don't believe in uh, exposing people to sexual stuff without their consent. So we're not going to put the sound in. (laughs) Don't worry. Thank God. Um, Yeah. Okay. First of all, when I told this story to somebody, I had one person who was like, you know, some people just really get into music. And I was like, no. No. no 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 this person was doing something okay yeah there was something happening but oh my god i don't know wait was this la opera or was this the la phil la phil this is the phil oh my god yeah i just i don't i don't know what it is about the la phil but lately things wilding. have been they are truly wild and like I, I mean, it must be just the L.A. audience, but oh, my God, the decorum it, is crazy. It is at such <laughs> a no quiet. It is su- at such a quiet moment in that symphony, too. That's what's insane. Like, sh- it couldn't have picked a quieter moment to make that sound. The, and like the whole the whole orchestra stopped playing for a second because they needed to make oh. sure that like nobody was hurt. And then like as it became clear that nobody had actually like it was in a medical emergency, they just like kept going. Imagine stopping the orchestra. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> See, I oh, oh well actually it's it's fifty fifty. A lot of people said that they kept performing. Um, but I imagine there was at least a little bit of a stutter in the playing. Yeah. Um, I also love like Ellie. Here's the thing. LA Times did a write-up of this, and they, they, they do this whole write-up of the orgasm thing, and then they go, it's still unclear exactly what occurred in the audience. I just I know, love that they like, ran with they that confirm? as their headline. And, and here's the thing. Who knows? That I, I'm going to read you several separate accounts of what happened. First and foremost, I'm going to read the orgasm accounts because uh, it's the most LA thing I've ever read, and these people are insane. Um, so... <laughs> the first one is everyone kind of turned to see what was happening um i saw the girl after it happened and i assumed that she had an orgasm she was heavily breathing and her partner was smiling and looking at her like in an effort not to shame her it was quite beautiful no Uh, 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 what (laughs) what what are you talking about you're at a concert it was quite beautiful (laughs) it was quite beautiful oh my god oh my gosh but, like, another person who said that they saw what happened, um, one attendee who was seated in the row directly behind the person who made the noise said it appeared as if the woman was waking up from a sleep attack when they made, she made the sound. I don't know what a sleep attack is. But, I mean, I, maybe she has, uh, what's it called, where you fall asleep? Sleep apnea? No, no. no that's, that's where you can't breathe. 
<laughs> yeah, JK. Well, maybe uh, that too. <laughs> so it's like an end. Uh, oh, now I have to Google fall asleep rap randomly. Narcolepsy. There we go. Maybe she had narcolepsy. I've also seen, there's a very famous video of a, of a symphony starting and a woman screaming because she fell asleep and she woke up to the sound of like the boom, the downbeat. <laughs> so to be fair. How do you fall I asleep think, before a symphony? It's just, I don't know. You're old and tired. <laughs> I feel like I could fall asleep anywhere. Oh my um, God. Yeah. A lot of people said it's probably narcolepsy. Um, and I imagine the embarrassment and like the partner smiling at her might be because they're used to their narcolepsy. I think it's less likely that it's an orgasm, especially just like screaming in the middle of it. But I, I just am fascinated that so many groups ran with that headline with so little thought. I don't think they ever identified who it was, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just pretty freaking funny. Uh, oh, here's another great, just, uh, from another LA person uh one can't know exactly what happened but it seemed very clear from the sound that it was an expression of pure physical joy oh my god i mean if it was going to be any time it would have been during tchaikovsky right (laughs) i think we can all (laughs) the same person said there was a sort of gasp in the audience but i think everyone felt that was a rather lovely expression of somebody who was so transported by the music that it had some kind effect of them physically or dare i say even sexually i do not want to sit near someone who is sexually getting off to classical music i am sorry that's gonna be a no you pay for a box if you want to do that you get away (laughs) i'm telling you though i I don't know what what is going on with the la way to chill about that though way too chill it was beautiful well, it's so funny because we're friends with somebody who plays for the LA Phil. And I remember you guys remember from a couple episodes ago when I talked about the freaking fight that broke out in the orchestra section at the LA Phil. And I was talking to our friend who plays for them. And we were like, oh, my God, did you hear? Or like, we didn't know if he was playing that night, but we were like, did you hear? Or like, were you playing that night? And he was like, oh, and then he starts describing this other fight that happened like on a different night. And we were like, there was a second fight? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. I don't know what's going on at the LA Phil. But I guess you really get your money's worth. <laughs> Entertainment value. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, I, you know. The LA Phil is in shambles. <laughs> yeah. Musically fantastic, culturally questionable. <laughs> uh, apparently music's so fantastic, it's sexually moving. But, uh. <laughs> I'm starting fights. <laughs> Uh, you you will in some way be passionately moved by L.A. Phil's music. <laughs> there's there's a ta- there's a tagline for the L.A. Phil. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness gracious! But uh, you know, speaking um, of the L.A. Phil, it's only right that I, as the um, resident Gustavo Dudamel uh, <laughs> segment yeah. host of this podcast, that I need to. Um, talk about just the ongoing juiciness of of his life and his career right now so if you haven't seen just uh, like five days ago Gustavo Dudamel said uh publicly announced that he is resigning from Paris Opera two years into his six-year contract which is just kind of crazy um that's definitely the one of the shortest tenures that Paris Opera has had in recent years so it's kind of kind of crazy but i mean it's just so okay. <laughs> obviously i have thoughts but um this is a direct quote 
from Dudamel. He says, it is with a heavy heart and after long consideration that I announce my resignation. I have no plans other than to be with my loved ones to whom I am deeply grateful for helping me to continue to be strong in my resolve to grow and remain challenged both personally and artistically each and every day. So no one has, I mean, obviously the public and people within the music sphere have all sorts of ideas of what, you know, cutting ties with the LA Phil starting um, with the New York Phil in a couple years and now cutting ties with Paris Opera means for Gustavo. But I feel like I have this dual sense. One sense is kind of like a little bit nervous because these are two huge commitments that are now whatever like canceled I guess um and so I'm very interested to see kind of what the professional ambition is for you know obviously he's involved in so much but it kind of feels like all of his eggs are in one basket with the New York Phil to a certain extent so I am very interested to see future interviews with him and just kind of what comes with that relationship because knowing Gustavo he is such He's such a dedicated musician, and I wouldn't necessarily call him a perfectionist, but I definitely feel that he takes, he has a lot of pride in his ability to really deep dive and commit, which he he said was kind of the conversation that he had been having with Alexander Keith, the director or the general director of Paris Opera about, you know, not feeling like he had the time and energy and schedule room to really put what Paris Opera deserved into his role. Um, So I have all of these thoughts. And then on the other side of this is it feels very reminiscent to Yannick just piecing out during the busiest time of the year and basically just canceling all of his engagements for the month of December um, and really choosing to focus on himself. And so overall, I'm super happy for Dudamo. I think it's wonderful. I think that he is kind of feeling like he's reached somewhat of a glass ceiling maybe um with LA Phil and that's fine he's brought it up to such a crazy level and I think to maybe some extent he feels a little bit more comfortable being a symphonic conductor versus an opera conductor in terms of time and dedication and rehearsal schedule which I think is fine which makes me more excited to see what he accomplishes with the New York Phil because I feel like he has a lot of time now to dedicate to that and I think that's I think in addition to wanting to be with his family and spend more time in Spain um it'll just be interesting to see um what he does and there's a really nice photo essay that came out on the New York Times two days ago um kind of covering Gustavo going to New York to conduct um Mueller 9 and work with the New York Phil and there's just some great photos um it seems like he had a blast uh you could see in the photos that orchestra members were literally lining up to take selfies with him and like talk to him and engage with him and it just seems like it was really really good and could be the start of a really really wonderful um you know collaboration between the two of them and it's very interesting because he uh announced his mantra to the orchestra for his upcoming tenure and his mantra was we're going to have a lot of fun, which is the most Gustavo thing in the whole world. Like, it literally, very much is. What is not to love about this man? So I'll I'll link this in our stories because um, it's very interesting. I feel like we're at a point with Dudamel where just looking through the photos and checking out the coverage, 
he really is one of those conductors that whether you're into classical music or not at all, like you know of him or know things about him to a certain extent. And it's just so interesting because looking through these pictures just takes me straight back to looking at older pictures of Bernstein and his work there. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, he will fill those shoes or even attempt to. I think Gustavo will do his totally own thing, which will be wonderful in its own way. But I'm very excited to see. I think Dudamel has a very similar general attitude towards music, though, in the way Bernstein was, which is like he is so dedicated to the community aspects of music, to giving kids access to music, to giving people understanding um, and like real enjoyment and understanding of music. So I, I think he's a perfect fit. I also think this is just like the general restructuring we're kind of seeing post-COVID, much like Yannick taking his like month-long break when he needed it and everything. I think we're seeing people really take care of themselves better and um, remember that there is life outside of music that matters. Mm -hmm. So I think people are withdrawing in order to do spend time with the things that mean the most to them. So, you know, taking on one big project instead of three full, uh, three full orchestras. Um, and also more time with family and stuff like that. And I, I personally think those things are very good. I am sad that LA will, will lose him, but at the same time, I, it makes sense. Good for you. Good for you, Gustavo. Oh, I wish him nothing but the best. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, if there was any, any person, if there was any conductor I'd fly out to see right now, it would be Dudamel. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Um, I, I feel bad that... Paris Opera is now kind of in this position where they're going to have to hire out guest conductors to fill, you know, the rest of engagements through through the season and beyond. But I think that they, uh, Alexander basically um, said that, you know, they want to do it right. They don't necessarily want to bring in somebody to fill in the role because of time restraints. Um, they're going to wait to find like the right person to, to step in. And so I think that... What a great opportunity to see a bunch of different... Um, conductors though yeah and to invite people in to do it so I think I mean yes is it tiring but just much like Yannick's break it's a great opportunity to bring in other conductors and and to explore other avenues opening opportunities for other people to step in and continue to grow it's gonna be great yeah so oh happy news for Gustavo I'm very interested I was shocked when I first read it I couldn't believe it um but then real quick up and down of a of a news episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. But um yes, thank you for for tuning into this <laughs> this week's uh, Gustavo Dudamel uh you know, seg- uh, yeah, segment. <laughs> our our Gustavo Dudamel correspondent. Yeah. Michelle Pina. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, obviously, there are lots and lots of news that have come out and passed us by. So if you ever find something and you want us to talk about it or you want to tell us something that you'd like to share about it, please, please write in. Uh, you can get to us on our Instagram. Our Discord is also always available. Those are definitely the two easiest places to reach us. But we do also respond to inquiries through our website. Yeah, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Also going to get into unions. And unions, big, complicated topic. But important for you to understand and also to understand better what's happening with our young artist program so we're very excited about the upcoming episodes and uh we will catch you guys next week bye bye